0: Welcome back to Episode 17 of Daughters on Fire. I'm your host, Melissa Burton, and today we're going to continue our two-part series with James Vandiver. He's an amazing guy. He has a lot of great insight, as we heard in Episode 16, and we're going to continue that. Um, Again, he's an octogenarian. He is a resource guru and has even helped write legislation on Issues related to aging and caregiving. So I'm so glad that we get to jump right back into it and you get um, this bonus episode with this interview. And we're going to jump in into some really meaty topics, including purpose and decline and how we just grapple with uh, aging in America. So stay tuned for this second half of our interview. Are you stressed, burned out, and looking for answers as you care for an aging parent? If you are, this podcast is for you. Here you will receive actionable advice from seasoned professionals, validation and compassion for the incredibly tough job you are doing, and most importantly, supportive love from a community of like-minded warriors. You're not alone. Join this powerful community as we support you on your complicated journey and help you transform into an empowered and calmer caregiver. From your um, octogenarian perspective, how has the uh, reliance on technology impacted you personally and, you know, those around you, how you're seeing the adaptation to technology? And then also, how has just age impacted you, kind of the acceptance of aging? Because I want to give a little story. When I first got into... Uh, my social work career, which was kind of an encore career. It, it ironically happened after the great downsizing of 2008. Um, I was not a social worker. I went back to school at that point after getting laid off. But long story short, when I first got into healthcare, social work, I felt like I had a lot of answers and, and like I wanted to be proactive, 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 With that was the name of the game. I had um, information to help people be safe and proactive and then I realized that's not necessarily how people want to live their lives because if you are um, at that stage, especially let's say with a dementia diagnosis, if you're feeling a little confused, if you're feeling like something's not right, one, getting an answer to what's going on with you is a lot harder than it actually looks. It's not like they, you can just, with a simple little test, you can get a diagnosis and two, once you have that diagnosis, it helps maybe the family to prepare. But it, it then you get labeled and you live your life as somebody with a terminal disease. And the day before, you were just somebody who was dealing with some confusion issues. And I realized that in that moment, I don't think I would have wanted that diagnosis. I think I would have wanted to live with hope of I'm just going to be me for as long as I can be me instead of chasing down some proactive diagnosis. And so with, as I've gone alongside so many more families, I realize um, it's really not my place to say what somebody who is experiencing that final chapter of life would want. And I've really backed off quite a bit from that. And how do you see that in your experience?
1: Uh, you are challenging me to be uh, introspective and uh, honest, and uh, neither is easy.
0: I, I take uh, you as a very honest man.
1: <laughs> uh, the, um, the transition to, quote, retirement, uh, again, is as different as the individual. Uh, I I cannot imagine myself being retired in the sense that I have absolutely nothing to do, uh, not to be engaged in some way with outreach. Now, realizing that something could happen in my life that would preclude that is one of those challenges that you're talking about but I think it would be very unwise to to live every day of my life playing what if. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You you live your life as though that is not going to occur and then deal with it when it does. Uh, In the second place, uh, I find myself having to practice what I've always preached, and that is that our culture declares, Kerman's worth based on what we do and not who we are.
0: Mm.
1: And yet I find myself doing the same thing as the person who uh, developed a resource center. Mm-hmm. The person who helped write some legislation for uh, patients in Tennessee. Uh And not that I'm James Vandiver. Uh, And even that extends to family, uh, the granddad, the husband, the whomever. Mm -hmm. And while those relationships are important, uh, if I do not have self-worth, then I'm not good at any of those other roles either. My wife and I had a conversation the other day about someone who finds their entire worth in being a grandparent. And when anything happens in her life that interrupts that, even in this period of isolation, not seeing those grandchildren, she is a person who has clinical diagnosis of depression. Uh, it it dramatically affects her own life, her own health. And so I think that understanding of we're, we're persons, we are real, whole persons, uh, is vital as we age. Uh, in my case, uh, I have the litany of chronic illness that most people my age have. Uh, I have three stents that deal with a heart issue. I am a cancer survivor. Uh, Several years ago, I suffered a fall uh, and fractured my femur. Uh, It changed my mobility a little bit. I'm 95% of who I was before that period of time. But during the period of recovery, I spent one month In rehab inpatient rehab I know what that looks like I've been there and when people talk about short-term stay in some sort of a long-term care facility uh, it looks different uh, once you've had the experience as opposed to just defining it and that's uh, that's a real-life experience uh, the other thing that it does remind me uh, of is that as my life progresses, there could be more of that. I read some statistics the other day that said the 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 need for support in ADL uh, activities of daily living dramatically increases after the age eighty five. If you look at the statistics of aging and the need for ADL support, uh, in the mid 60s, it's really about only three percent, which is is very very small. It increases to only like 10 or 15 percent in the 70s. Once you reach that 85 plus, it's dramatic. And I, I look at my own birthdays and I think I need to at least accept the possibility. That that could happen, and when and if it should happen, that I do not become that person that we talked about a little earlier, uh, that uh, needs to cooperate in the decision making that is not only for my own well being, but for those of my family and those who will be called on to take care of me.
0: What advice would you give after going like through that short term rehab um, to my cohort? Um, the younger caregivers that you would say, look, just just remember this, just know this, um, that you, you can't know it because you're not where I am, but I can tell you to be mindful of it. What advice would you say would be very powerful
1: for us to know? I think understanding the recovery potential of the individual would drive that. Uh, I remember a conversation that I had with a therapist one day. I was down in the treatment center, and the lady said to me, "Uh, I want you to look across the way at this particular person. Do Do you see her? And I said, yes. She said, let me tell you what our goal is for her. She wants to recover to the extent that she can play bridge once a week. That's our goal. That's her goal. Your goal is to get you out of here as near 100% as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. We're probably not going to be able to do it, but if we can get you back 95% because you plan to leave here living exactly the same life that you lived before you came in. Mm -hmm. And I think the reality of what that individual situation looks like is really important in terms of the person responsible as a caregiver or a family uh, in knowing what's going on and knowing how different life might look after that's over with. Mm -hmm. Second thing, caregiving within family settings needs to learn how to shop for the very best care that's out there. Mm-hmm. If you're going into a short-term facility, learn all the right questions to ask. If you don't know those, then talk with your medical team about it. And again, be careful if you're only dealing with discharge planners. And I know this is probably going to sound a little bit unkind, uh, unkind, but it, if it's not just a, a numbers game, if it's not a heads-on bed. If it's not, I've got to get six patients out of that acute care bed today. If you're not careful, uh, if a family is handed a list of options to go look uh, for, that's horrible advice. Uh, get additional help. Uh, perhaps it's someone like you. It's for sure somebody like Robin Arrow. Mm-hmm. And if, and build in that other layer of educational care. It'll make all the difference in the world. In your ability to be a good caregiver, your ability to be a good patient, and frankly, it will profoundly affect your recovery.
0: Uh, I totally agree with that. And and sometimes, like you said, it's, it's not the face value stuff that you're sold as the consumer. Oh, here's a list. Oh, if you want more information, go to Medicare.gov. Um, or here's our marketing pamphlets to let you know what we we offer honestly it's a you get you get somebody you get that secondary layer of the people who are in the know know the turnover know who's showing up at this facility who used to be at that facility and this one's strong now under this leadership and this one's you know like that's that layer of people that just have a pulse on what's going on in the you know the the communities whether it's the Rehab, whether it's long-term care, skilled nursing, assisted living, it's, and there are people, we're absolutely out there and Daughters on Fire and our resources are a great place to start um, for, you know, not just the Middle Tennessee area, but we can help plug you into other people that are in the know that can kind of give you that scoop.
1: I looked through the list of questions that Robin has developed on questions to ask when you're making those decisions. That, that's incredibly important. So have be armed with those kinds of things. Uh, I, uh, we used to tell people as we were discussing this uh, in seminar settings, uh, you, you go in to look at a long-term care facility and uh, the marketing people will tell you, um, uh, uh look at uh, Look at how lovely the lobby is.
0: Uh-huh. Uh,
1: look at the fact that we we have real linens on our tables at meals um, and uh, the food is really good and uh, the room is bright and my reaction is the food's supposed to be good the 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 room's supposed to be well painted. Uh, I had a friend. Uh, not long ago, who told me about uh, trying to sell a car. And uh, he was getting a a, a rather low ball price for it. And uh, he said, he told the guy, you know, well, it has a new battery and new tires. And the individual said back to him, cars are supposed to have good batteries and good tires. I mean that's that's baseline
0: right right.
1: And so we don't settle for baseline. Uh, we we need another layer of decision making. absolutely uh, in in my own case, uh, as I view my own aging, uh, I'm compelled to look, at some of the needs that we all have in terms of well-being as we age. Uh, I mentioned self-worth a little earlier. Uh, there's a great deal of research in this whole area. Some of the greatest work that's been done is by a group of psychiatrists over at Duke University uh, led by Dr. Koenig, uh, lots of information out there uh, in ter- terms of the studies that they have done uh, in regard to well-being. Uh, we, we need a sense of, of, of some degree of acceptance. Uh, we can fight it. Uh, we can play like it's not occurring, but that's not going to stop the progression. Number two, we we need to be able to look back on our lives and know that something that we have done has mattered. Uh, Faye's dad uh, had vascular dementia. And as we watched that disease progress in his life, he had been an entrepreneur. He had owned his own business. Uh, he was a, a very generous man. Uh, he was a very loving, giving person. Uh, and he, his, his comment that we heard repeatedly was, "I don't want to be useless." Mm. I want to be useful and so I think as we age we need avenues to express that. Uh, We need to learn how to serve others. Uh, That the way we serve others may, may differ a great deal, but we need those kinds of things Uh, to help us age successfully. Dr. Jane Taibo recently retired from the medical staff of the University of Louisville uh, uh, talks about the fact that every domain of life unless it is interrupted by some type health condition and I would say dementia would be the, the the typical one there. We have the capacity as human beings to continue to grow and develop and mature throughout our entire lives. While the physical might take a bit of a different uh, turn, we can grow intellectually. Tests prove that that maybe even IQ increases as we age in certain situations. Uh, Our our social uh, ability to develop better relationships, many times mature, as we have learned from past mistakes. Uh, Spiritually, the things that matter in our lives, what's important in our lives, our value systems may become much more well-balanced. The idea that aging plateaus at some point along the line, and that from that point on, there is no potential for increase or change, but it only becomes uh, diminished, is, is not true. Mm-hmm. And to learn to look at oneself as one ages, as having that capacity, should encourage us to look for ways to make that happen, uh, and, and to enhance that. Uh, this business of follow uh, good health habits. Uh, if you have had some bad habits in the past, as soon as possible, try to try to conquer those. Exercise regularly. Um, have good nutrition. Uh, do the kinds of things that promote good health at any age. All of these relate to um, to the aging cohorts.
0: You know, one of the things, um, I I like to kind of shake things up by having people um, re-evaluate what they think of certain words. And I know that nobody wants to be a burden. I hear that over and over again. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be a burden. It's almost like you equal, when I become a burden, I no longer have purpose and value. But I think that we all need to get to a point where we accept that we will be a burden. We will be a burden on somebody. It won't be a burden where it will will be unloved, or we don't have value, we don't have purpose. So, like you're saying, it's almost like accept and release the um, resistance to being a burden, and realize that you still have value and worth and purpose in in you know your your smile and your presence and just or your wisdom and your insight like what can you still do and be even when you require a lot of assistance and support and are quote unquote a burden because other people are having to help you and help take care of you um i i'm, I'm trying to one soul at a time i'm gonna break down the whole uh, the stigma to burden the word burden Let's embrace the fact that we will be a burden, and that's our gift to the world because it means somebody else gets to show us how much they love us. Well, it,
1: it's like Rosalind Carter says, only four types of people in the world. Right. Uh, I think she says it as well as I've ever heard. It. Yeah. You either have been a caregiver, are one, will be one, or you will be in need of a caregiver. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I challenge any of us to look at our own lives and define our, our situation in those four areas without realizing that's me
0: right right um, well James we have a few more minutes and I'd love to get your take on um, on kind of our theme for the month and is the male perspective either and one of the things you had told me earlier before we got on um, today is the percentage of Males being caregivers is drastically rising. And in what I do, of course, I have a podcast called Daughters on Fire. So obviously, you know the percentage of of um, responsibility that goes to women is is quite large, but that's not to say it doesn't also fall to men. And you're we were telling me that the percentage is is actually going up. There are more and more male caregivers. And I don't necessarily see it in my role as a counselor. Um, because I believe uh, those male caregivers are not reaching out as much as the female caregivers are. So I think what's happening is uh, female caregivers are naturally leaning on each other, seeking out information and support, whereas the male caregivers aren't. So if you don't mind speaking a little bit to that statistic and how it's growing and also how the women out there who know how to reach out and support what we can do to help bring those male caregivers into the world of support that we have created so that they don't feel alone and isolated. And they do know what's out there for them to help them on their journey.
1: Well, I think, first of all, the reason it is growing is because of our culture today. Uh, family makeup is changing dramatically. Uh, particularly in the older cohorts, more people are living alone. Mm. Uh, more people are uh, not only living alone, but they are single or single again. And so the change in gender role is impacting this. Uh that's that. That's the first thing. Uh, number two, uh, sometimes it is growing merely because of necessity, and there is no one else, and so you have to step forward. And if you had some alternative in the past, you're right. Certainly, we would have reached out for it. We would have said to that uh, that female. Uh, you do it, I'll support you in it. But what if there is no one like that? And all of those options have gone away. We have outlived all of those. Uh, I think uh, it's changing uh, because of the need for more caregiving. Uh in situations where, as I mentioned earlier, the family dynamic may just call upon the ideal person in a larger family system to be that proactive provider. And in that particular family situation, it happens to be a male, happens to be a man. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's an influence. Um, the reason that you are not seeing it you I think have described very well Uh, number one they aren't reaching out for help and even if they wished they don't have anywhere to go there's not a man on fire organization out there and while you might not want to be quite so formal in that relationship as a counselor uh, you might encourage some support groups for men uh, among your clients or as a referral source to other people uh, who are involved in it. I, I would think our industry would very much want to encourage this. Uh, if you have a, a resident in your facility and the caregiver is a male, want to uh, help them get all the resources they could, so maybe it's a it's a matter of learning and education and uh, finding the the better resources uh, for that uh, i I guess gender expectations are also changing the way we define gender roles is changing, and caregiving certainly would fall in that in that category, I think. Uh, it's just a, a change in our culture. Yeah. Brought on by the aging population and the demand and the need that's out there. Sometimes that drives change. Uh, we don't change and make it come about, but we react to what's happening. Uh, I would think that another source of uh, concern. Uh, about gender role and caregiving, this would affect both, uh, is business and industry in America. Uh, You ask what changes do I see and what's going to change as we move forward. I think the whole HR uh, area uh, is going to be more and more impacted by this. A lot of ways to deal with this. Comp time may be uh, granted in smaller chunks uh, so that you can take mom to the doctor. Uh, the loss of revenue in business and industry because of caregiving issues is overwhelming based on lost time, ineffective time. And so I think creative ways for business and industry to speak to that need uh, on on the part of their employees uh, will, will change and that that will also help. If it doesn't, it's going to continue to affect lost time and lost revenue uh, in business and industry. So lots of I see lots of areas where uh, improved caregiving is uh, not only going to be a necessity, but it's going to benefit our society. It's going to benefit business. It's going to benefit the medical care community, uh, medicine in general, family structure for sure. Uh, So it's just, one of those opportunities that we have to help uh, make a better world.
0: Wow. And, and you know what's going to be interesting? You talk about gender roles and all that changing. It may not be that the all of the males out there don't want to do it. It could be also that they have jobs that have less flexibility than the females do in the lives of the, the kid. Well,
1: and you are articulating exactly what I was saying. You've just said it better. Uh, it may very well be who can leave work to do it or or who has that flexibility, uh, who can control their own schedules better. Uh, And I'm wondering if,
0: if the coronavirus is going to really reset how we think about that because businesses are operating with, you know, I would say, Eighty percent um, work from home right now in the in the world it seems like we're all at home doing as much as we can and if we can and we can do business and work from home and with more flexibility, maybe that means there is more ability for caregivers to structure their work life around caregiving where they don't they, they have the time they need it's just not in that typical box that caregiving doesn't fit into that you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five kind of workflow. But if Corona has said, because I know a lot of people that, oh, well, you know, we don't like our workforce working from home or even in therapy, telehealth therapy, it's just not the same. Well, people have a much different tone about it now because we've all been forced to. And sometimes it was resistance to change, not that they were ineffective practices. It's just that we didn't like it because it wasn't how we were doing it. So maybe this will bode well for more flexibility for caregivers in the workforce.
1: I think the way we're going to live will be different. I think some of the lessons that we're, that we're learning are good lessons. even though we have learned them in a time of great difficulty. I think business would have an impact on the workforce, yes, and not all of that's going to be good. Mm -hmm. So the workforce is going to have to learn to adapt also. Again, uh, I am a person who desperately looks for a glass that's half full not half empty. And I think it's a great opportunity for us to learn to do something better than we've done it in the past. And one of those things is how do we take care of people better than we've done in the past? Mm-hmm. When you take advantage of every opportunity that you have to learn and do it better.
0: I think that's a fantastic note to even end on today. I love it because it's not just like when um, – you know, like in our world right now, there's been a societal setback, but in aging and as we we go through the caregiving journey or as we go through the aging journey, you know, it's not always easy, but can we look at it from a positive perspective of of what can we learn? What can we do better? How can we we focus on tomorrow being the best day that it can be? And I really love that um, perspective. And I've really appreciated you being on today. Again, um, Robin, you're a mentor and friend to her, and we consider you here at Daughters on Fire a mentor and friend as well, and I really hope that we can get you on again in the future because I think this has been extremely valuable um, today, and, and I think we may do two parts to this interview because it has been so valuable. I want people to get um, as much as I have out of it, so thank you, James. Any last parting thoughts from you?
1: age is just a number
0: age is just a number that's right yep well i love it and thank you again we appreciate your time and um and just appreciate you for all that you've done for our community and for this interview today so thank you very much We hope you enjoyed today's episode and ask that you subscribe to this podcast. If you find this podcast helpful, please leave a review so we can reach more women like you. You are not alone on your journey, and the Fire Tribe is here to support you. Check us out at daughtersonfire.com and our Facebook group for more support and resources. Until next time, remember, you are the fire that fuels the engine of life.